Hello, I'm Stefan Eady, Assistant Head of School for Academic Affairs. Welcome to the Darlington Podcast. Today I'll be talking with Al Shorey, our math department here at Darlington School, and Dr. Kenneth Ginsberg, who we're excited to have here as the author of our first ever faculty parent book read, Building Resilience in Children and Teens. Thank you all for joining us. Welcome to the Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia. Join us as we take a look inside and outside our classrooms and connect with students, teachers, alumni, and more. Dr. Ginsberg, what a treat. Uh, I think that you're, you're probably our first really great special guest that we're having come in that isn't already an existing member of the community. And uh, this is actually your second visit to the school. Um, and so I'm, I'm starting to consider you part of the community. So appreciate you for being here. I really, I have to tell you, I really love this community. I had an amazing visit the first time. Um, where I just spent a very long day with teachers and learned about the depth of their commitment and honestly that they're driven for the well-being of young people and so love this community. Great, thanks. Glad, glad to hear that. So for, for those who are listening in who don't uh, already have a familiarity with you or didn't maybe participate in that book read I was talking about, let me give a quick background uh, on, on you. Uh, so, uh, you practice social adolescent medicine at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, you're a professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Uh, you also direct health services at Covenant House, Pennsylvania, uh, where you serve Philadelphia's uh, homelessness and youth. Um, and, you know, in addition to this book that we've read together, you've written many other books and resources, uh, many of which were published by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, your research and writings over the last 30 years, uh, aging yourself here a bit, but, uh, but you have focused that entire time or, or mostly on facilitating youth and how to develop solutions to their own social problems um, but, and, and also how to teach adults how to better serve those youth in, in that pursuit. Uh, relevant to our work here at Darnton, you, you work with professionals who serve youth to give them applied strategies to optimally serve our young people including work uh, with the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Uh, we, we have a regional uh, group of them just down the road from here, uh, and Covenant House International. So again, uh, that little bit of background for our listeners. Um, I actually want to start with, with Al, if that's all right, um, just to, to talk very quickly about how this relationship got started. Uh, Al started uh, this by writing a grant, um, part of our Thatcher Faculty Development Grant Program. Um, and maybe just tell us real quick what, what you were trying to accomplish with that, because this is a really nice grant and that it wasn't just for you, it's for the whole school. Well, originally we were going through a time where I see, I've seen a lot of students back down from challenges that they were facing. And so my initial idea being a Tennessee fan was to try to bring Inky Johnson in to speak. And in, in that process, um, Rebecca, Kenny, and you and I talked and we tried to make it more academic. And uh, we had a colleague who had worked with Dr. Ginsburg previously. And so we, we started looking into Dr. Ginsburg as a possibility. And it really went from you know, a study of grit to uh, working on our resilience. And it's been a really good journey. So we were talking before the podcast started. I remember those conversations. And it was a lot about grit. I remember you, you talking to me and your own students. You know, how, how do we make our students tougher? How do we get them through the challenges that, that we as a school give them, that society gives them, that, that just growing up as teenagers in our world give them? Um, and, I, and I think our faculty, Dr. Ginsburg, when, when you spoke to us in May, um, were, I'll say pleasantly surprised, I know I was, that, uh, that, that that was not just about toughening them up 
you know, getting them just to be able to suffer. It was really about how, how do we help support them? How do we care about them? How do we love them? That that actually leads to resilience. Absolutely. So, um, you know, grit is really not about making tough kids. It's about having kids who can look towards the future. Um, Angela Duckworth, who really developed the concept of, of grit, um, uh, talks about how you are looking at life. Do you look at life as a sprint or as a marathon, right? And if you're looking at life as a sprint, you're gonna do whatever you can to succeed very, very quickly. And if you fail or if you trip while running a sprint, the game's over. Whereas if you look at life as a marathon, you're looking far into the future, um, then you are planning for something that is larger than something you can originally do. It takes lots of practice, lots of intention, um, and you don't, even though it's a single person sport, you don't um, actually, uh, you need the cheering squad on the side to make you push further than you imagine you could. And if you fall down while you're running a marathon, what do you do? Get back up. So that's a very simplistic definition of grit, but let's talk about those people cheering on the side. Let's talk about what gives you the confidence to get back up when you fall down. Let's talk about what it means to have a vision for the future that's worth going towards. Your vision has to be something meaningful, it has to be something that has value, something that you think is going to add to the world in a way that you can uniquely do. So yes, it's absolutely about supporting kids that gets them to be successful. Now, you've, you've talked a lot about relationships and support, almost as uh, the, the end goal for uh, an adult definition of success. Like, how do we have people around us that can support us? In your book, a lot of time about parents, but I think for teenagers, maybe talking about um, a network of people that can support. Yeah, when parents are able to be there for young people, um, loving them without condition, um, I think that it's the most protective thing in a human life. Um, what does it mean to love without condition? It uh, doesn't mean that you like everything they do. What it means is you're not going anywhere. And it also matters that you hold your kid to high expectation. It's not about grades or trophies. It's about the power of knowing, um, of, of knowing who a person really is and asking them to be their best self. That, that's what like love is, is really seeing someone. So when parents are there for kids, it's the most protective thing in their lives. When the rest of us are there, it's deeply additive because it's more people who see all that is good and right in the kid and who expects them to be nothing other than their very best self. So as a community of people who care for and about kids, we add to the power of parents. You know, there's a uh, paragraph in your book um, that resonated with me, and it, it's where you talk about a behavior of children and talking about how the, the child is not the behavior, um, that, uh, that we can love the child and reject the behavior. Um, and, and the fact that why is that behavior something that, we're, that we don't like? Why is that, why is that child performing this behavior? Um, and and you, t you talk about the why, that it's not just you know, a teenager, a child out of control, that, that they're actually doing that behavior for a reason, which is yeah. that they're responding to something, they're coping, or they're having stress. And, and I love uh, how you talk about, um, you know, stress and 
um, certain responses to stress can be negative or positive. Uh, and it's usually those are the behaviors that we're responding to. Absolutely. So, so let's back up and, you know, I have the audacity to have a definition of love, right? <laughs> and, and so love is seeing someone as they deserve to be seen, as they really are, not through the lens of the behaviors that they might be displaying. Where we get in trouble as parents is when we focus on the negative behaviors because if most of our attention is focused on the negative behaviors, let's just be really clear, those behaviors will continue because that's the way you get your parents' attention. But when we see all that is good and right in the human being in front of us, kids live to that expectation. And let's remember one more very spiritual statement, which is, why do we love? So that human beings know they're worthy of being loved. And focusing on a negative behavior just makes people want to do that behavior more. So it, when a parent's observing or experiencing bad behavior from a child, how do they, how do they separate that? Like how do they, what is their next step? Like how, how do they identify that that behavior is coming from a place of, of stress or coping? And then as a parent, know how to respond because they still have to be able to set boundaries and correct and, and guide, right? Yeah. A really good place is to ask the kid, honest to goodness, we don't do that enough. We look at the behaviors that we wish kids weren't doing and we tell them not to do it. And uh, that's honestly never worked. Um, what does work is giving human beings the opportunity to explain their behavior. And sometimes if you just say, what's going on? I'm feeling like you're acting out. Tell me, uh, I want to be supportive of you. How can, how can I support you? Virtually everything we fear in adolescence, to take it to the extreme, um, whether you're talking about cutting or drug use or all these things that we worry about the most, um, these are things that make you feel better. Um, they make you feel better for a moment, but they're deeply, deeply destructive in the lives of young people and for that matter, adults. Um, and um, so we ask what it is that's driving them. We give people an opportunity to talk about their feelings. We let them know that we will stand by them no matter what, we're not going anywhere. They're not alone in their journey. And then we develop in them a wide repertoire of positive coping strategies. See, that's what young humans don't yet know sometimes, is that there are lots of ways to feel better that don't involve negative behaviors or choices. And it begins with human connection and talking. Um, can I say one other thing? You know. It's not just the talking that's the way we begin um, positive behaviors. It's modeling how we cope. You know, so many of us want to look like the duck gliding on the water for our kids. We want to just, you know, give them a sense of stability and security um, that tells them life is good. Your, your dad's got this handled. Um, and if you have a four-year-old, that's excellent parenting. But if you have a teenager, that doesn't look real. I think we just have to speak more accurately the truth, which is the reason that we're, you know, paddling on the water even when it gets turbulence, because our little feet are underneath paddling like crazy, right? And when we show kids what we do when our own lives become uncomfortable, that's actually better than anything else. You talk about that in the book, asking adults, parents included, but also teachers, um, to to model adulthood. 
you know, to, to be the kind of adult that you want the child to see. Um, and that, that means that it's not always sacrifice and suffering either, that the adults are enjoying life, that there's, that there's meaning in it, there's joy in it. Um, and if, it's, if, it, if the child can see that or a teenager can see that, then, then they, it, that in itself helps them have something to look forward to, want to strive toward. You've made a critical point, Sivan, right? Um, your point is, you know, we, even though adolescence is one of the hardest times in human development, we still celebrate it and we suggest the kids should be having a lot of fun. Um, and what that does is put an awful lot of pressure on adolescents when they look at the adults and they don't see us having fun. On the other hand, when we look like life is good, we take care of each other, we still have pleasure, then it doesn't make adulthood look scary. And if adulthood doesn't look scary, you don't have to live for the moment as much. So I think it's actually from a behavioral point of view, really important that we show our, that we are still enjoying life, that relationships matter us, that we have fun, that we're learning, that we're making mistakes and recovering. All of that, I think, is a deeply protective thing for kids. But since you brought it up, can I make one other point? Of course. Um, assuming that the people listening are human, um, they're going to make a lot of mistakes in their lives. And we're now coming out of a time where folks really felt overwhelmed. You know, it's a time of tremendous uncertainty and people were juggling a few balls and then the pandemic came along and that added a couple extra balls. You know, you're worried about relatives, maybe you got sick yourself, you've got to manage different things that you're managing for. So what happens when you have extra balls added to the balls you're juggling there? You drop them, right? Um, so this is an opportunity to really model self-compassion to show our kids in action one of the most important traits of resilience, which is that we are forgiving of ourselves our own imperfections and limitations. We look up in the air, we look at the balls that are still up there, and we go, you know what, that's what matters to me. You look down at the balls on the ground, um, and you go, you know what, I'm gonna leave some on the ground, and I don't hate myself for dropping them. I am forgiving because I recognize I am a human. So, for folks who are listening to this and who are going, well, that sounds great, but I have to be perfect for my child or I have to be strong for my child um, because that's what good parenting is, let me drive home one extra point, which is, because this is really a strategic act of good parenting. Like, I'm not just saying be forgiving of yourself because you deserve it. I'm saying you're teaching kids an empathy skill you're helping kids to learn their own limitations, but there's something else that's happening. You wanna be the kind of parent who your kid comes to in times of crisis. And what happens throughout late childhood, early adolescence is kids are watching us and they are assessing whether we will be supportive of them when they need us. And if we are deeply judgmental of ourselves, they won't come to us when they need us because they don't want the shame and the punishment and the judgment. On the other hand, when they see that we are flexible and forgiving of ourselves, when they really, really need us, they're more likely to come. You talk about perfectionism and maybe that starts to touch on that a little bit. And, and growing up in this, in this world, at this age, and perhaps as a Darlington student with, with lots of ambition, 
both sometimes from the adults in their lives, the parents and our teachers who want the best for them. Um, it can be very, very stressful. It's, it's, you know, make the best grades, get in the best college, get a career, have a lot of money, have a family, have a great relationship. Yeah. And um, that, that is a lot of pressure for anybody, much less a, for a brain that's still developing. Uh, let's turn back to your very first sentence. Mm -hmm. You started by saying parents want the best for their kids. And then you listed several things that are occurring in the here and now that define the best your grades, maybe your trophies, how you're performing in the moment. And um, I'd like to back up and to respectfully and lovingly say to parents, um, if you want for the best of your kids, don't focus in the here and now. Focus in who they're gonna be when they're 35 years old. You want the best for your kids, you want them to be the kind of people who are gonna succeed in the workplace. Those are the people who have collaborative skills, the people who are kind, who are good co-workers, the people can take constructive criticism and don't fall apart when they receive it and instead see it as an opportunity for growth. These are the things that make a successful adult, a successful 35-year-old. And we know that if we pressure kids in the now, they become more anxious and are afraid to think outside of a box are scared of getting constructive criticism. So even though it might push them into higher levels of short-term success, like if you pressure your kid to get good grades, might they get better grades? Yeah, they really might. They also might go blank on the test, as I did when I was growing up, um, in which case they're not getting better grades. But are they better prepared to be good adults, compassionate, collaborative, people with what's called um, the growth mindset. Really look at the opportunity um, to always grow in the job. That's what success is. So I love the way you began, thinking about the well-being of your child, but then begin visualizing the 35-year-old you're raising and things become much easier than when you look at how they're performing when they're 15. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying focus on what's meaningful. Yeah. And also maybe some empathy in that. I mean, what, where would you want to hold yourself to? I mean, how would you withstand, how would I withstand those pressures? It would, it would be too much. There's a lot of pressures on people nowadays and you want your kid to be happy, <coughs> help them understand that they matter in the universe, that they can make a difference in other lives. That's how they find a sense of meaning. It's how they develop really strong and healthy relationships. That's what creates adult happiness. You want to focus on making the kid in front of you happy? Yeah, get them a pack of cookies. They'll be happy for a few minutes. Right. Teach them how much they can matter to others. They'll be happy for a lifetime. Al, back to you for a minute. You know, what I loved about this uh, project was the, uh, the, the faculty, the teacher-parent partnership. And you know, we talk about parent-teacher partnerships a lot here. We, we find it very valuable. This project was great uh, because it gave us some common vocabulary and a common book, of course, to read. But um, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you a little bit now that, you know, we're, we're deep into it. Um, how's it worked out from the teacher standpoint? Um, have you Have you found in yourself or in other teachers um, some, some takeaways and how we can help students with your original concern, which was grit. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I, I think uh, a couple of things come to mind. Over the summer, we did a couple of meetings with parents that were doing the read with us, and the conversations we had during that time were um, really positive. 
and um, helped us. I think having the common framework to think about things um, was really helpful. And then we continue that work with a group of teachers this year in our professional learning community where um, we talked about ways that Darlington can better support our students. So it's, and, and now his visit here is energizing a whole group of students that will continue that work with a, a much larger. So the, the movement is getting bigger the further we get into this. Uh, so it's, it's exciting to be a part of. That's great, and, and a great moment to kind of recap is we're talking to you today, Dr. Ginsburg. You've been here all day with us. Um, you, uh, you've done some really interesting uh, sort of uh, workshops and, 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 and uh, conferencing. Uh, one long block of time with, with uh, 22 of our student leaders, I believe, really focused on trying to come up with some, some uh, mindset shifts, some cultural sort of awareness of things we can do to improve the school. I thought that was fascinating. And you did the same thing with a group of students or teachers, um, which which I love because it means that, that this work's gonna continue to, to go forward, um, that there's gonna be an impact there. Um, and, I, and, I, and from what I, I sort of debriefed with you after all that, it sounds like you would agree that there's 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 a lot of work, good work that's, that's left to be done here, I think, for us to, to, to make the school even better in terms of all this. This morning when I was with um, the young people, um, you know, uh, my credentials were given. Um, and my credentials are good, right? <laughs> and, then, and then I uh, said to them, so who, who are the expert? Who's the expert in the room? And, you know, enough of them um, politely said you. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't create cultural change in this school. You do. You determine how to create a learning supportive community. Right? You create the peer cultures. You support the new students. And we ended up just having a phenomenal conversation um, where um, we try to help students understand how it is you create a better environment for people to grow and to be authentically successful. You know, the kind of, to develop the kind of character strengths that are going to make them awesome adults. Can you define authentic success briefly for us? Yeah, well, success is you know easily narrowly defined, and it seems to be things you can measure or see on a resume. It's either like your you know your paycheck or or what school you've gone to. And authentic success is something much deeper. It's who you are and what you're doing and how you're navigating the universe. Right? Um, do you have relationships? Do you, uh, are you doing things that feel meaningful to you? Are you compassionate to others? Do you want to build a larger community? Do you possess creativity, a collaborative spirit? Um, do you have the ability to be resilient? Um, so, you know, that's, that's it on a spiritual level. And on a very, very concrete level, um, I like to think about raising children for their second job, right? Um, it's so easy to look at a child who's living in our house and to consider our job done when they get into the college of their choice or and then but that is a very narrow definition of success and um, uh, which college you go to won't ultimately make a difference in your life where your second job is will make a difference because kids only stay at their first job for about a year and a half so what gets you your second job it's all the things I've been talking about it's not your scores or your grades in high school. It's like, do you learn on the job? Do you take constructive criticism? Do you grow? Do you collaborate? And when we raise our kids with these character strengths, um, they end up being authentically successful. 
not just in the workplace, but in the community and homes. One thing you told the students this morning, uh, actually this afternoon, was resilience is a mindset, not an invulnerability. Mm. Um, and when I think about that, that you told the students in terms of what we read, that you were telling parents and teachers in this case, um, is that um, it's okay to make mistakes. Um, that we as adults have to guide, um, but we have to give our students room to make mistakes, room to grow. Um, I, I think uh, the, the metaphor you used was enough room to spread your wings, but mm -hmm. maybe not so much to, to hurt yourself or something like that. So it's not okay to make mistakes. It's imperative to make mistakes because it's the only way that you can possibly grow. So if I have to come up with a metaphor, um, I would use the puzzle metaphor. So you, you know, lay out a thousand pieces of a jigsaw puzzle on a table, right? And um, how do you begin putting together the puzzle? The edges, right? You know, the edges. That's a parent's job. A parent's job is to create very clear boundaries beyond which your kid can't stray and beyond which they can't make mistakes. And those are the things that really are safety issues or deep morality issues. So you create the edges. What's the next thing to do when you're putting together the puzzle? You, you know, you group the like pieces. You put together the reds, you put together the blues, and you look at the reds and you're like, is this gonna be a fire engine or a cherry? And you don't, you don't have the patience, so you look at the picture in the box. So you kind of know what you're building, right? That's also the parent's job. It's also the parent's job to be the picture on the box. So you create clear boundaries beyond which your kids can't stray. You create clear modeling of what it means to be a healthy, responsible, loving, caring, and moral adult. And then what's left? It's all these pieces in the middle within the boundaries, and they're kind of random, and um, you don't know how they're going to fit together. There's a lot of guesswork. Sometimes you shove some pieces together, then you have to pull them apart again, but it's within the safe boundaries of the box. So if I had to give you a metaphor to remember, ask yourself, hey, this situation, is it in, within the puzzle boundaries or outside the puzzle boundaries? And am I modeling what it means to be a good person? And if there's something outside of the puzzle boundaries, jump in, allow no room for failure or mistakes. If it's within the puzzle boundaries, allow mistakes so kids can grow. Now you're gonna hate what I'm gonna say next. Ready? I'm ready. Schools within the boundaries, right? <laughs> Like, you can't, like, get in too much trouble uh, by getting a C, but you can learn how to do better. Yeah. School is a perfect place for kids to be able to make mistakes. And if you believe that um, success only is measured by grades, then you're not preparing kids for authentic success, and you're losing an amazing opportunities for kids to grow as individuals. I think that's so helpful. Uh, it's, it's helpful, I think, in terms of, you know, adults who want to be a part of making the child better, it's youth better, uh, either as parents or students, but, you know, we as adults struggle with where our place is and what to do that's right, and, you know, that's stressful in and of itself. And I think I, I've appreciated your perspectives, uh, your, or shifting our perspective a little bit and seeing what, what's meaningful, what matters. Um, and I know I've had more than one, uh, let's say, uh, older, Faculty member, faculty members have children who have already graduated. Al, you're one of those who said something along the lines of, where, where were you when I was <laughs> raising my children? Where, 
where, where are these resources uh, then? Uh, I had it happen just at lunch uh, today with one of our uh, learning center specialists. Um, but you know, on, it is uh, interesting. He assured me, you know, we had a conversation on the way to the airport after his first visit. And like, man, I did a lot of these things wrong. And he assured me that it was time to, to do things right. And you, you, know, you have different opportunities throughout your life. But just my, my boys are older. But I had several opportunities this summer to choose how to react to situations that I was just better equipped to deal with it now, and I acted in a, better, a way that I was more, I think, was much more powerful. And so, and I've had several parents say, man, I screwed this up. I, I wish I would have known. And I always tell them, what Dr. Ginsburg will say, this time, <laughs> those opportunities are going to come back around. And so... Well, that's great. I, I know as we sit here recording this, that um, the, the, the parents who are coming t tonight at the chapel will get a lot of that messaging. Um, what, what we hear, heard today is just uh, just a few examples uh, of some of that guidance. Um, and I would say for those who are listening that, uh, you know, they're intrigued and uh, start to start to think about ways they, that they might could improve uh, their own way of working with children. Um, uh, of course, you, you have the book that we read uh, as faculty and parents, that's Building Resilience and Children and Teens, um, and this is fun. You, you've just written a, a new book. Um, I believe I'm going to get this right. It's Congratulations, You're Having a Teen! Exclamation point. Is that right? There may be a subtitle you can help it's, me with. Uh, congrats, You're Having a Teen, and the subtitle is um, Strengthen Your Family and Raise a Good Person. And it's uh, really for parents of adolescents of any age, but where I think it's going to make the biggest difference is for the parent of like the 9 to 14-year-old, right? Um, and the title itself gives you an idea of what it is. So humbly, it's the most comprehensive parenting book out there. It gives you um, communication strategies to guide your child, to shape your relationship, to restore your relationship when you struggle. It's all that. But it also gives you the developmental background to understand why kids behave the way they do and therefore how to communicate with them. But what it really, really is, and it's a starting place, all lies in the title. Right? The subtitle, Strengthen Your Family and Build a Good Person, is what the book's really about. Um, but the title, Congrats You're Having a Teen, is designed to surprise you. Um, because the reality is that when people move towards the adolescent years, um, uh, someone in the grocery store line is tapping them on the shoulder when their kid is hugging them, saying, hang on tight while you, while you get those hugs while you can, they're going to become a monster. This is really unhealthy and undermining to our relationships because we enter adolescence expecting problems. If you enter adolescence expecting problems, they're going to come. Um, but if you understand development, understand why kids temporarily push you away, understand how much you matter more in the life of your adolescent than you have at any other time during parenting except for the ages of zero to three. It's zero to three and adolescence that parents have their greatest influence. And that's not what the other, many other experts are telling you. They're telling you how to survive this period. And I'm telling you how to love this period and how to engage with your child deeply. Which really seems to tie into your whole message, which is be an active part of that child that's growing up and learning. Yeah, be, be present, um, be a guide, be a part of the adventure. Uh, and value the things that are most meaningful in that. So 
That's been great, and uh, I appreciate your time. Um, you've had a busy day, uh, and this is just added to it, and so I do appreciate your time. Al, I appreciate you uh, making all this happen. Um, and uh, Dr. Ginsburg, I hope that uh, I hope that maybe you'll come back and, and continue to share with our community because uh, it's certainly very helpful. So again, thank you both for uh, for your time and joining us today. Totally a pleasure. Thank you so much. And, and we're glad that you tuned into this episode of the Darlington Podcast. Tune in each week wherever you like to listen to podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. You can check out today's show notes at darlingtonschool.org/podcast. If you have questions about today's program or ideas for a future episode, send an email to communications at darlingtonschool.org. The Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia, is a collaboration between the communication, advancement, and IT teams, and the intro music is alumni produced. See show notes and hear more episodes at www.darlingtonschool.org slash podcast.